0: I'm Pastor Rob Myles, and welcome to the Ponder New Podcast. This is a bonus, a final episode in our mini-series on the names of Jesus. I realize it was just such a, a, a golden opportunity here uh, for us, one that is filled with, with satire and smoky rooms and ultimately the, the truest gem uh, and gift that is... Uh, that we have in in Christianity. And so I hope you had some good gifts at Christmas, because we're going to be talking about gifts and the names of Jesus in today's podcast. The Gifts of the Magi which is a good short story by O. Henry, but uh, in this case is also the story from Matthew chapter 2, which, as we'll get to later, is really political satire, uh, a classic biblical um, literature genre, again, political satire. Uh, but, but, but I want uh, to get these, to these gifts that the Magi bring. But before we do that, I just want to reflect a little bit on the, on the Magi themselves. Sometimes they're called the three kings, the three wise men. Um, first of all, we don't know how many there actually are. They brought three gifts, frankincense, gold, and myrrh. But uh, again, we we don't know how many there were. Um, when I was a kid, sort of, I had this this crash set that was really based on sort of Christian tradition, almost even on the verges of Christian legend, that had, you know, their names Caspar, Melchior, and like... Belshazzar or something like this, and, uh, the, you know, that each one sort of came from a distant land, and that's why they, they brought the gift of their land and, and so forth. And that, I mean, that's maybe may true, but we don't know how many there are, uh, and they're not really kings, they're, they're, maybe Wiseman is a little bit closer, but the literal Greek is magi, um, and this is where we get the word magician, they they weren't magicians per se they were really kind of ancient astrologers um but i don't say that derisively they were people that were charting the course of the heavens and have you ever been in an area where there's low light outside the little uh, light pollution you look up and the stars they're just so bright and there's so many of them and there were people magi in this in that culture who were Studying the movement of them, they would write them down, and eventually, over time, this would actually lead to more discoveries and to astronomy. But at that time, and this isn't just unique for where they may have been—say, Persia. Some people think, and I'll tell you why that later. They um, that that they would have had a sense that the movements in the heaven correlate—not nah, correlate, but but. Guide the movement uh, of things on earth. And we may be tempted to think this is ancient superstition, but the number one app, I think after pornography, that was downloaded by young adults uh, during the pandemic was astrology apps. So we're still thinking that there's some connection between earth and heaven and how all this works and, and looking for guidance in our lives. So again, there are these three, uh, maybe more, magi from who knows where. Some people think Persia, um, for, for a variety of reasons, including the fact that they think there may be some connection um, between uh, these, astro- these magi and, and maybe sort of part of the Jewish diaspora that you know, from Daniel on that was uh, sort of in, in uh, where the Persian Empire was. We just don't know. What is clear, though, is that they're they're not practicing Jews because they they don't know the Jewish scriptures. Uh, they just hear that there's this new king of Judea that is to be born, and they're they're following some sort of astronomical event, which other cultures have, and their ancient sort of astronomers astrologers have maybe a supernova around this time. So there's there's evidence there may have been historically some event in the heavens. And uh, they believe this is a sign that there is a, a king to be born of the Jews. Now, here's where the political satire comes in. And if not even religious satire, too, because these visitors from the East come and they go to the king and they say, hey, you know, there's a new king of the Jews. Where is he? So what does the current king, Herod, think? You know, kind of what an insult to him that the true king is born. And they're all sort of, you know, kind of running into each other in nervousness and, and curiosity. And uh, what, what Matthew tells us is that they're all, fr- he was frightened and everybody. And they call together the chief priests and the scribes and they say, well, where's the Messiah to be born? Well, think about this for a second. You've got the king of the Jews who doesn't know where the king of the Jews is supposed to be born. Uh, Later on, who's now going to sort of plot to kill this baby? He's so threatened by this baby, which is fascinating that to think about it, the King of Jews knows that this person is actually supposed to be the divinely heralded dawn of a new age. You'd think he might not want to kill the baby, but he doesn't really have the interests of the people at heart. And it's also commentary on the scribes because the scribes don't know that this is happening, like, sort of uh, almost like the opposite of a Star Wars, uh, the first three parts of the trilogy, where the Jedi don't know that the Sith is among them, like, this, the priests don't know that, you know, the new, the Messiah is, is about to be born, it's, again, it's, it's a commentary that's going to run throughout the Gospel of Matthew that the political and religious leaders of the day don't get it, Um. So I I'll, I'll let you kind of uh ponder that there. But but so now we get um to to these to these gifts. And uh the first uh gift is the gift of of gold. In case if you've ever bought gold for somebody, have you ever received gold, maybe in the form of a piece of jewelry? And gold is often thought to represent the royal or kingly nature of Jesus. Right? The as Revelation will fully declare, the king of kings. And for us, we often think about kings in terms of power, but I think the New Testament, as it consistently talks about uh, the kingdom of God, is, is going to reshape what, what, it, what the reign of God, what it would mean for Christ to be the king. And, and again and again, we find in Scripture that uh, Jesus' uh, kingship, as opposed to earthly kings, is, is not simply about a quantity of power. Although again and again, the earthly kings will be shown to be void of their power, ultimately, but, it, but it's really an orientation of that power. And the orientation of, of the king of kings is one who's going to somehow use this capacity the king has to bring about what the Psalms cried out for, what the prophets spoke about, and this is the, the peace and justice uh, the rain, the fullness, the shalom the the, tzedakah, the right, the 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 peace and the righteousness that the Old Testament so longed for, so, so when we hear, King of Kings, again, our instinct is to think about power and glory, but but again, this the power of the king would have been to establish righteousness in the land, and this is such contrast then to everything Herod and then his son will later do in terms of how they treat the people and how they understand their relationship to God. It's all about advancing their own sort of lineage rather than the people, rather than doing what, what God wants them to. The next thing is there's this, this gift um, in, of, of frankincense. And the gift of frankincense... Interestingly, it's from the Greek word for Lebanon, like the country, because Lebanon had cedars, and so frankincense is made from cedar trees. And it would have been used in worship. And the Psalms declares, let my prayer rise before you as incense, O Lord. And uh, so again, this is the role, we assume, of Jesus as the great and the true high priest. And the role of the priests, especially the chief priests, which they're mentioned here again in Matthew 2, they're the ones running around trying to find out, you know, in their scriptures where, where the baby is to be born, that their role would have been to act as an intermediary between uh, God and humanity and to bring about the forgiveness of sins for the people. And and in fact, we, we learn... In, uh, in, in Scripture, that in fact Jesus is even called the intermediary between God and and man in uh, Timothy, and so there's this this way in which uh, we don't though need any more priests. Like you don't. I'm as a pastor, I'm not sort of a barbecue specialist. Uh, that that would have been my job in the old days. You would have come to me. We would with I would, with an animal, I would have cut it up for you. Done a little butchering. Uh, you know, maybe given you a portion, but generally would have smoked it up, let the fat go to God, and I would have, gotten, I would have eaten some meat, you know, and so forth. So the job would probably would have been more fun 3,000 years ago. But, but anyway, uh, Jesus has come, so we don't need uh, one who slaughters animals on our behalf um, because Christ, again, has taken care of for all time the necessary forgiveness of sins. And so then this becomes, I think, in some ways, whenever you have sort of this this idea of a of a priest, it can often become a distant metaphor, one who sort of on our behalf goes and does something holy. But I think the idea in the New Testament when he's called the intermediary, it's it's really that that we can go to we can go to Jesus Christ, as as Jesus will say, you know, if you know me, you know the Father. Uh, and so we're invited by Christ to go. To him. So the incense can be a reminder that Christ has uh, drawn us, invited us in, uh, back into relationship with God through his forgiveness, and that we can call on Jesus in prayer and in praise. Well, the last gift is the gift of myrrh, which is the strangest gift of all to give to a child because myrrh is used in embalming fluid. And in fact, later on, right before his, his death, Jesus will be anointed with, with myrrh. So yeah, the fact that he's given myrrh, it's kind of a creepy gift to give to a kid and it suggests that Jesus is ultimately the sacrifice, the crucified one, the one who has died for us other names there for for Jesus. And uh, this is uh, again the the great mystery of of Christianity, why does Jesus have to die? But I want to say right here in the beginning of Matthew's gospel. It's clear that there is a, a need for redemption and that there is a there is one who will take care of that. And but again, this this cross, this sort of this mark against Jesus, that ultimately he's going to die here. This is like a Greek tragedy in many ways. We we know where this is going, uh, and in fact Herod's going to seek to, to kill uh, all the infants under two. So there's this. This the strange, uh, so again, the story of the, the, the Magi sort of reveals to us these names. In fact, John Calvin will pick this up and really almost organize his whole sort of institutes on Christ around this, of, of both, you know, Jesus as king, Jesus as high priest, and then Jesus as sacrifice. Uh, but, but it's also just for a little bit of a lighthearted, it, it sort of is a commentary, again, a satire, that these kind of astrologers from afar know more about what's going on than the Jewish king and the Jewish chief priests. And it it lays the groundwork for the necessity of sort of a revolution of what has to happen for God's reign to be brought about. And then lo and behold, it's going to come about in the most surprising of ways, the death and resurrection of Jesus. So that wraps up our reflection, I think, on names of Jesus. My hope is that uh, this mini-series here got, got you through and some holidays. And, um, and now I'm hoping in the new year to take on one of the, one of the big books of the Old Testament, likely the book of Genesis. Um, but, but we'll see. But for now, blessings on uh, your, your Christmas and uh, your New Year's.